Welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast, where we believe learning never stops. We create innovative and flexible professional development opportunities that support the current research and thinking in education today. This week's podcast episode aspires to set you up to take another step forward on your personal learning journey. Now here's your host, Jeff Udick. All right, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. Thank you for being here this week. Uh, this episode is coming out hopefully in summertime. Hopefully you're finding time to relax with a beautiful beverage of your choice. You're taking some deep breaths and you're able to just maybe for just a moment uh, give yourself some space for healing uh, as we come off of a, another school year. I'm so excited to again have my co-host Trisha Freeman with me. Trisha, how are you doing today? Jeff, I am doing well. I'm excited to be here, and I'm really excited about today's conversation. Um, it was sparked, actually, by just some tweets that were showing up in our feed. Uh, and, you know, you and I are big believers on the power of just sharing, of making learning transparent. Twitter is always, I think, a good space for that. And I just always appreciate when, when school leaders are taking the time and they're in that space. So today's guest is a school leader, and this conversation is based on him sharing and putting out there his own learning as well as the learning of, of his school. And I love that. So today we talk with Ian. He's the uh, uh, upper school uh, principal, I guess, upper school leader uh, at the International School of Luxembourg. And uh, today, you know, the, I think the theme that comes out of today's talk, which I, I just really love, and I wrote this down when we were having our conversation with him, is that, you know, what we talk about is we talk about a logo that they made for their DEIJ committee and, and work they're doing around DEIJ. And the way that, that he and the school really found a way to not make it just a logo. And so like the, you know, the title of this episode is it's more than a logo, it's a badge and a sticker. And talk about just more than we're talking about DEIJ, the way that they set up structures to invite a community in, I think are just so powerful for everyone to kind of hear and think about what are we doing in, in our community around that as well. Yeah, the, you know, just being really intentional with communication and how that logo is a conversation starter. You know, I really appreciate that. Uh, so I, I think for anybody who needs to take policy that exists at their school and actually make it engaging and inviting, this episode is going to be really powerful and, and really, really important. Um, so again, that just getting intentional and thinking about policy matters for our school community, right? But how is it that we can make that policy not just known, but we can make that policy um, a broader part of the conversation? I really, really like what Ian has to share about that. Yeah. And I think at the, at the end of the episode, we're asking him what he's thinking about this summer and something that hit something that I was thinking about, and I didn't talk about it in the show. But I want you, if, you're li if you listen to the end of this, at the end of this, he's a school leader who's going into hiring season. And one of the things he brings up is he is starting to ask new hires a DEIJ question. And I just, I thought that was so powerful. And, and even as a school leader, he tells you what he's looking for. It's more than like, of course I'm inclusive in my classroom. Do you have your DEIJ answer of how you are actually implementing this in your classroom. Not just like, sure, I believe in inclusion. Sure, I believe in equity. Like, what are you doing? You, here's a school leader getting ready to go into hiring season and he's gonna need the answer to that question. And I was just thinking for myself, like, 
I don't have that answer right now. Like if I was applying to go into a school, I'm going to have to think about that. I'm going to have to come up with how do I answer that question? Because I had not thought of that before. So maybe I've been out of the classroom too long, but I just found that really powerful. I was like, ooh, if you're listening to this and you're getting ready to go recruiting or you're getting ready to switch schools, do you know what your answer is to that? Do you have, how are you going to answer that question? I thought that was just really powerful at the end. Yeah, uh, just a really, good little tidbit. Absolutely. You know, Ian brings that that honesty, and I love that he's talking about looking for the actions, right? Um, yeah. And, and also, you know, speaking of summer, Ian leaves us with some of the the questions that are on his mind going into the summer break. So, um, in the show notes, you'll be able to find Ian's Twitter handle, so you can connect with him if those questions are similar. Uh, Jeff, speaking of questions in summertime. Our newsletter audience, we had a few folks write in to say this is also the time for them where because they have a little bit of extra headspace, they're trying to get ahead of some of the digital decluttering, if you will. Oh, I like that. Uh, you know, just getting organized, doing some small things that can make a big impact later on. And the, the two things that they were really talking about Everybody has to deal with the reality of email um, in, in their work. Uh, and, and also just where are you sharing and saving and organizing your resources? And I know that the newsletter readers are gonna be happy to learn about an upcoming opportunity we have. And I'm wondering if as the designer, you would talk to us a little bit about um, these resources that are there for those who, again, just wanna do some digital decluttering this summer. Yeah, so uh, to your point, we know that summer is a good time to do that. And uh, we are making these asynchronous uh, pathways for people to go through that are looking at two things. We are a Google certified partner um, organization. And so we're fo very focused on the Google side of things. And so we have two right now, two asynchronous pathways that if you go over to shiftingschools.com, you'll be able to see them there and, and download them. The thing I love about them is the ease of use. You're not learning a new program, right? They're, they're built in Google Slides. Uh, and we do that for a couple of reasons. One, most people understand how a slide deck works, so there's no new learning there. And number two, these are also pathways that once you look at these, you can create these for your kids. As we move into a high flex situation, and if you haven't heard the term high flex, look it up. You're going to be hearing it a lot more in education, K-12 and higher ed. But as we move into this idea where you could you could build things or we need to be building things for kids who are in front of us and kids who might be asynchronous or be doing stuff online, we have to come up with with the system. And that's really what these pathways and why these pathways are built that way. So number one is not just, not just the content you're going to get, but just looking at the structure that you as a teacher could use. Now, within that, the two that we're looking at uh, releasing, one is all about Gmail. And I know it seems horrible. Everybody's like, well, I've been using email since the 1990s. And here's the problem. The problem is you've been using email since the 1990s. Gmail is not like a regular email program. And the way we organize it is different inside schools. If you just open up Gmail, it is not structured for a school system. You need to set up some structures that allow you to get through your email successfully and not lose email. And I've been passionate about this for years around email because I go into trainings and I watch teachers who are in their email box who have like 10,000 messages. I was in a training not that long ago. A teacher had over a thousand unread messages. If that's your inbox, you're going to miss things. It's just inevitable. I was in a training once where a teacher found a missing assignment from a student who graduated two years ago. She missed it. 
and the kid ended up getting into, like, we've got to be better at it. So the Gmail pathway is all about how do you use the power of Gmail to structure your inbox so that you have your tasks that everybody uses their inbox for in a place that you know where to use them. You can set up multiple inboxes so you have different information. There's just, there's so much more to email than I've got this overwhelming list of emails that just every morning when I open it up, all of the energy drains from me. And that shouldn't be the case. So we, we go in depth with that. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm very powerful about all my structures in, in email because they, they, they matter. And then the second one is Google Drive. If you're new to Google Drive, if you're just looking for what are the hidden buttons around Google Drive, uh, it's faster, not quite as long, um, but still just like there's hidden menus all over Google Drive that allow you to do things differently. They've come out with this new workspace area under the priority tab, which might be new for you. So just some good learning in there too. And to your point, summer's a great time to do a little bit of learning and then get yourself ready and get your structures and organization in place. So when you hit August, September, October, you're, you're, you're ready to rock and roll. So. And that that investment in restructuring, it, it just pays off so much. You know, Jeff, I'm a former digital literacy coach. And actually, just some of those tips and tricks and strategies for being more intentional with your drive and with your with your Gmail, we're talking about things that make a difference every single day. Um, so, yeah. you know, folks would always say, hey, that was like, 20% stress reduced from my work week. Um, again, because I think these are tools that are just such an essential part of our learning flow and our workflow when we take that time to really understand how we can make them work for us, um, it, it really does pay off. Yeah, and I think the other thing too is that we're using the newest version of, of Gmail. So right now, Gmail's in a transition. Some some people might have clicked on it when it came through and they was like, hey, do you want to use the new Gmail? And some people went, yay! And other people were like, I don't know what this is. I'm going to stick to the old one. Our trainings are all based on the new email, which if you know anything about Google, this is how they do things, is they tease it in April and May, and then come September one day, you open up your inbox and it's all different. And you you find yourself in this like scramble of learning. So know that these trainings are already focused on the new version. Uh, and we even start off with how do you get to the new version? How do you turn on your new version, which you, you can do. Uh, so you can start setting it up and be ahead of the game. Because there's nothing worse than being the third week of September and all of a sudden being like, oh, great. Now my email's all new again, right? Because they move buttons around on you and they change shapes and everything else. So yeah, so head over to Shifting Schools and, and yeah, use them. I I was going to say, you know, it's it's modeling for our young learners too. You know, it it uh, it strikes me the number of times students would notice something that I was doing with my drive mm -hmm. organization that's useful for them. So yeah, as you say, that's uh, that's over there at Shifting Schools. I'm really excited to to dig into this conversation with Ian Jeff. I know you are too, and anybody who is an aspiring school leader or an existing one, I think this conversation specifically is really bound to resonate. Yeah, absolutely. Great conversation. Enjoy this one with Ian, head of upper school at International School of Luxembourg. And with that, on with the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. So excited to be here with a, a longtime friend, Ian, from the International School of Luxembourg. Uh, we were just having a quick chat before we got started. And of course, my co-host, Trisha Freeman, all the way from... Uh, Ontario, Canada now. I think the the last time you were on, coasts. we were in transition. Yeah, you traded coasts. So. I traded coasts, yeah. So coming to you from uh, rainy Ottawa today. But always, Ottawa, there you go. Always a pleasure to be um, here and, and learning with um, amazing school leaders. So thanks for having me again, Jeff. 
Yeah, so we're across multiple time zones. Uh, as you're going to find out here, Ian is in uh, Luxembourg, uh, the big country of Luxembourg. I think it's like 600,000 <laughs> people, the entire country. Yeah, uh, but uh, amazing place. I've had the opportunity to work with the International Luxembourg for, for many years and have many conversations with Ian. So, Ian, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, if you want to give us a moment to kind of introduce yourself, tell us kind of your journey uh, into education and, in, and into the, the leadership roles uh, international schools. Yeah, so um, actually Luxembourg's my fourth international school, um, and this is actually my fourth year here as well. It's, uh, it's amazing how time flies, especially during the, the time warp that was COVID. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so, so before coming to Luxembourg, I was out in uh, Southeast Asia, um, actually very different schools, like young schools, startup schools, um, setting up sections of schools and so forth. And uh, so coming to, to Luxembourg was kind of like a little bit like coming home, although I'd never lived in mainland Europe before. But it was something that was uh, very deliberate, I suppose, wanting to be in, in, a, in a more established school, um, a bit closer to home. Very conscious also of uh, having, having recently experienced kind of Brexit, um, wanting my children to feel and get a sense of Europe and mainland Europe as well. So it was, uh, yes. Good, good to be back here. So, and, and um, yeah, they, they brought me in as the, the upschool principal and it's been a great four years, difficult four years, um, but uh, yeah, it's been a good time. Well, thank you for, for joining us. Ian, um, we, we recognize that many of the leaders at your school are connected, they're on Twitter, they're sharing, mm -hmm. they're being generous with their insight. And we wanted to start off actually um, just going back to a tweet that you shared in May mm -hmm. celebrating the DEIJ logo from your community, uh, which was great to see. And we, we wanted to take some time and make some space for you to discuss how that logo came to be why having a visual perhaps is really important for you and your colleagues and your community mm -hmm. yeah it's um it has several roots actually and uh you know it's always a case of everyone likes a good logo right um so true but actually it, but actually it, it's it's not the first time that we we've used that kind of symbolism with it within a school setting and, and not the first time we've used it in connection with diversity and, and things like that as well so actually just over a year ago um our alliance group, we've got a really uh, um, well-developed um, and popular alliance group at the school, um, and they have put together a couple of couple of stickers, actually. Um, just one was a simple, it was a kind of a, a, a picture of the earth and a, a rainbow logo, but it was two hands um, that were that were connected. Um, and that, that, that was given out to a few staff. It was given out to a few students, members of the groups, and, and just kind of quite subtly, you began to see this logo, these stickers, being in different parts of the school. And of course, it prompted questions. It got people saying, well, what's that all about? And, 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 and at the same time, so it, it promoted conversation, but it also created quite gently kind of safe spaces and things mm. like that for students as well. So that was when we, we first kind of really kind of came back, okay, the, the power of a sticker, the power of a badge kind of thing, if you like. But then this year, this is the second year as a school that we've really had a, a fully functioning DEIJ committee. And we set it up soon after the uh, um, the, the tragic hitting of, of George Floyd back in May 2020. And in our first year of that of that program, we we did a lot of activities in terms of um, we had a, we celebrated Diversity Day. We heard lots of stories from our community. Um, we set up a website. Um, we had um, different webinars from members of our LGBTQ community, from minority groups within the school, again, to kind of raise that conversation. 
and we, that was a lot of the action, if you like, we did in the in the first year. But as we came into this second year, kind of looking back and thinking, okay, so we made some progress, we got some input, we got some ideas there, and we perhaps people got got people talking about it, but we needed something a bit more. And we actually needed something to govern our practice and guide where we were going. And so we realized actually that we had to do the boring thing, which was to design, a, to, to write a policy, to mm. frame our practice, to tell us what direction, why are we doing this and what direction are we going in and what does it actually mean? But to develop that policy, we wanted obviously to make sure that we had full community involvement from students, from parents, from teachers and so forth as well. So we actually used an idea that we put in place a few years previously when working with uh, Ewan McIntosh. Um, we put together what we called a, a diverse, a DEIJ nest. So we set aside a room very centrally in the school. We put up using sticky notes, we put up these big letters DEIJ on the window so you could see it from the whole campus. And then in that space, we had some prompts for students, for teachers, for classes, for anyone visiting that classroom. Um, we had a cozy corner, which had lots of books that is, are kind of rooted in diversity, asking, you know, kids for, for children, for adults, for teenagers and so forth, and encouraged kind of reading groups to take place in there. Um, classes took place in there. Um, and one of the bits in there we were thinking how how do we get people to come in here and one of the bits was we said okay let's have a logo competition so we had a, a small group of students work with our design, graphic design team and they 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 designed seven different logos um all super colorful soup like very cool logos really we had a great team working on it, each with a different bit of a story and then people who came to that nest to contribute their ideas, to talk about DEIJ matters, one of the things they had to do is they had to vote for the best logo. And of course, you know, when we had Diversity Day this year, that was the great un unveiling, you know, yes, we chose this logo. And on that day, we had hundreds of these stickers and badges and uh, giving them out to, to students as well. And again, it, it's been one of those, that simple symbolism it, it's, mm -hmm. it's been really significant um, and we tried something um so you, as i said you see them everywhere it's, it's i've got it on my laptop i've got it on my phone i've got it you know and you see them around around the building and again it just creates that sense of belonging and that you're welcome here um we've done something similarly we'd um we'd uh, used uh, um emily meadows has put together some uh, progress pride flags with uh, you're welcome here written them in multiple languages and we we're also kind of giving those out as well and, and again just having this visually around the school building it promotes that dialogue it promotes this idea it promotes the conversation it gets people thinking so that that's so that's where the logo came from and um yeah we really like it it's now it's on my it's on my signature on my email and you know as i said you're beginning to see it in more and more places so yeah yeah, what I love about this, and I want to dig into this a bit because there, there's two things that I keep thinking about. I, I jotted this down because I think this is going to be the title of this episode is it's more than a logo. It's a badge. It's a sticker, right? Yeah. This idea that it – how many times do we do this though in schools where like we, we create a logo for something, but that's it. Like it's a logo that ends up on the web page or it shows up down in the lower bottom left corner of the thing that's on the on the bulletin board. You know, but the the process that you went through, uh, making it visual, I think, mm -hmm. you know, number one is a huge takeaway for everyone. And number mm -hmm. two is like, make your logo so it can be a sticker. Like it's something that yeah. it's a badge of honor that I yeah, get yeah, to yeah. put this on my phone, on my folder. Yeah. The other thing I, I, I want to talk, like, how long was this entire process? 
Like, I don't um, hear you saying like, hey, we got five people together. We uh, opened up a Google Doc. You know, we uh, we wrote some policy. We then sent that out to the kids and asked the kids, hey, is this okay? Is this all right with you? And we throw that in a binder somewhere. This, this, this was this was a, a long process. So we, yeah. we, we started kind of talking about, as I said, we kind of knew this was a project we wanted to do during the year. So back in kind of September. And then the Nest, actually, we opened up just after carnival break. So that's February. And then it was open for about three months. Uh, so just until, until pretty much end of May, something, no, middle of May. Um, and, um, yeah, in that time, we, I mean, there were other activities. We, yes, we did actually do some surveys with the community as well, and we had other conversations. But the room was open and functioning and accessible to, you know, the board had their meetings in there. The students had classes in there. And we had meetings in there. There were coffee mornings in there. There were parent information evenings in there. And again, it just was like it was there all the time. You know, as I said, wherever you were in the school, you knew where it was and you knew what it was about. And if you didn't know what the letters stood for by the end of it, then, like, goodness knows where you'd been. Uh, you know, yeah. it was... It, so yes, it was a it was a, a long process, but it was also one that was, um, yeah. I think it it served two purposes. We got what we needed out of it in terms of we got some great information for our policy, right? But we also, as I said, we got everyone thinking about it and everyone talking about it, and um, yeah. So. See, we knew that there would be a great story behind that tweet, Ian. And, you know, also just what you're saying about really breathing life into policy and making mm -hmm. policy accessible and seeing visual communication as an entry point into some really mm -hmm. powerful conversations. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, that's just this great intersection of school values, your digital literacy, community mm -hmm. building, mm -hmm. um, and DEIJ work. You know, a, a, again, I love that it's not as though each is off in its own silo, mm -hmm. but it's sort of seeing where do these things overlap. And mm -hmm. I, my money would be on the reality that now folks have more of a, an awareness of the policy. Um, it's not just going to be, you know, like collecting dust uh, or digital dust on a on a document somewhere. That, no, that, that's right. I mean, it, it's. I mean, there's been, I guess. I mean, there's other far more. There's other activities we're doing which we know are going to have perhaps far further and long-reaching implications. So, for instance, we agreed as a school to adopt the social justice standards. And those are, as time goes by, we're building those into our curriculum, into our unit plans and so forth. Um, but in order to people, for people to buy into that, you've, you've, you've got to give them the story, you've got to give them the narrative, you've got to give them the interest in the first place. Otherwise, you just say, here's some new standards and we need you to adopt them and, you know, and bring them in. You've got to give them the the why the compelling why if you like so hopefully to some extent we've we, we've done that here and uh we we know we still have a long way to go but it's it's been a a good journey so far well and i think on top of that that's spot on so important but on top of that is also this idea of time you've got to give people time you know the mm -hmm. the ability for you to set up the nest to then and i want i want people to hear about this right like because when we all the time we hear people say like well you have to we, we're going to involve the community and it wasn't a parrot night at seven o'clock one day in right. february you know like involving the community meant setting up a space for the community and I love how you even said, like, then you were intentional about holding the board meeting in the space, mm -hmm. holding parent coffees in the space. Classrooms went down and used the space. Like, all mm -hmm. of a sudden, you set up a space, and then you allow the community the time mm -hmm. it needs to give you the feedback, to educate themselves, to vote on logos. Like, you know, <laughs> there, there's a time. Like, the why is there, but there's this time and space to allow that growth mm -hmm. and community to come together. 
And anybody who's listening to this podcast, think about your approach. When your school or your district says, oh, yeah, we need to involve the community. What are they doing? Is it just a parent night? Is it a survey they send out via email? I'm like, oh, we asked for feedback. Nobody gave it to us. Or is it this truly inviting space? And I love that, Ian. Thank you for sharing that. I think that is so powerful of the way how you literally, like, truly engage the community in this work. Yeah, funny enough, it's the, the, the bits of just listening to you speaking about it there. I think what, one, of the, one of the questions that we asked ourselves is, is how do we make sure our youngest members of our community can also be involved in the discussion as well? And you're thinking, well, that kind of complex stuff, the EIJ, you know, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, you know, they're going to be able to handle that. But of course you can. And, and we did provide a means in there with our, with our cozy corner with the books and a little activity where we got students to, uh, we had these coasters, just simple coasters, plain ones and on one side they had to draw a picture of a time they'd felt included and on the reverse side it was a time they'd felt excluded and there were some just gorgeous and cute little pictures and little sketches and things they'd done so there are there are there are ways that we try to make sure we engage everyone which was of course the goal i mean you wouldn't be bij without including everyone right so yeah right i love it and you find a way to do it right you find ways to include no matter age uh, or background, you find a way to be inclusive in the process as well. Uh, all I know is like, I want a sticker now. So I got to somehow get a sticker. Uh, I got need one for my laptop. So yeah, yeah. Well, I'll find a way to get one from you. That's for sure. Um, Moving along here, earlier this year, you also shared uh, a little bit about this past year's Global Issues Network Conference, uh, uh, the GIN Conference, as it's known. Uh, I was very much involved in that. And Trisha, I think you were too back back in the day uh, when we were international teachers as well. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, this year's conference and, and your school's involvement and, and some of the stuff that makes you proud to be part of the Global the, the Global Issue Network? Well, uh, for, for me, it's, um, I, it comes back perhaps to, to one of the, the first questions you asked me today, Jeff, about uh, you know a, a reason to, to move to ISL and um, yeah ISL was a founding member of, uh, of the GIN network um, back in 2003 2006 something like that uh, and was certainly was I, I first came across uh, GIN when I was back in um, back in Vietnam and, and obviously at the time never thought to myself oh, I'm going to go and work in one of the founding schools but. So yeah, I mean the the root of it is still true today. You know, it was set it was set up originally in response to a, a book by Jean Francois Richard, uh, High Noon: Twenty Global Problems, Twenty Years to to Solve Them, and it covered a whole range of global global issues: water, climate, deforestation, poverty, digital divide, IP rights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And those themes still permeate today's uh, and even this year's uh, Global Issues Network event. Um, and it was set up with a view to promoting activism, uh, student activism and student voice and student agency. Um, and so the school has got this kind of long history of being, long history, 20 years nearly, um, history of being involved in this activity. And um, it, it, it's still a very active club within the school. It's a great way for students, that, because we're kind of the coordinators, if you like, in terms of the, 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 the one that we host here. It gives our students an opportunity not only to participate as the um, kind of the leaders in the different forums, but they get to look kind of behind the scenes in terms of organizing it, coordinating it, uh, reaching out to potential speakers and so forth as well. So 
yeah, I mean, it's it's just a, it's a great program. Um, this year we had um, not quite as big as its first one. Actually, we had uh, over well over two hundred students. Though um, we had uh, many schools from all over the world, from places as far away as you know East Asia and, uh, and North America as well. It was online this year. We had to go virtual last year for the first time worked okay um this year was even smoother um and moving forward we we will keep that piece of it um we like the online version but we're actually looking now to also do some locally here in luxembourg uh with some of the other schools around us um the the, the first one of those is planned for the 24th of november not quite mm. sure what the uh, kind of overarching themes are going to be at the moment but it'll be similar it'll be about sustainability it'll be about uh you know very likely about climate change i imagine but uh yeah possibly about some DIJ pieces as well. Yeah, no, and uh, I love it. And we'll make sure links to the the website are, are um, you know, in the show notes and everything as well. And uh, to your point, you know, it's it's been around for a long time. It's such a great conference for students. Trisha, were you involved with Jin at all when you were in Singapore and in, in your international stops? Uh, when I was in Switzerland, actually. Switzerland. And, you know, oh. I'm, I'm really... I'm glad that you brought up that that student agency piece because I think um, you know it really is an opportunity to showcase student leadership, um, and you know I, I'd love to hear more about as you say you know the students had to pivot and the conference had to go online, and thinking about how that was sort of the story for so many different events mm -hmm. um, in the world of education. I'm, I'm wondering if if you could speak to a little bit you know how what you are trying to do as a learning organization, how th those same sort of ethos and values might come through when you're talking about, okay, we, we want our student leaders to be able to navigate change, right? So, oh, mm -hmm. okay, what we thought we were going to do with an event, mm -hmm. we, we're not going to be able to do mm -hmm. that. We're gonna have to pivot. Um, could you talk just a little bit more about that student leadership piece? Um, so in terms of, I guess, pivot, pivoting to, to the online aspect of it, um, it it was relative. I, I guess the, the format we didn't change so much, um, mm. but the the different role that the students took was really in terms of how they how they moderated probably the groups more more um, more directly and perhaps because it's a different you know I, obviously you know the the gym network and how it works and you've got students who are you know they're kind of thrown together in this case in a virtual environment. Um, so you don't have that natural dialogue, that natural interaction that, that they would have had previously when they're in a room together and they're chit-chatting and, you know, they can see each other. But in, in the virtual space, it takes a different type of um, skill to be able mm. to bring people out, to get people to open up, to get people to contribute, um, to get people to ask questions. And so seeing our students actually very quickly adapt to that different need and that different kind of expectation Actually, again, so graciously and gently, I, I remember watching, um, I forget what the discussion was on now, it was about, uh, it was something about water and about access to water. And we had one of our, I was sitting observing one of our students and she had, a, it was actually a very young group. They were all kind of 11, 12, 13 year olds, about 15, 16 of them, they were talking about this issue. But they were they were super nervous and they were struggling to kind of get the right and struggling to get the conversation going and other people. And she's just so beautifully and gently prompted and poked and kind of just 
got others to get involved and she complimented what they were saying so generously. It just promoted that conversation and got them talking and got them engaged. And by the end, it was like, okay, enough, Shh, you know, we're finished out of time. <laughs> and just see, so seeing the students change, yeah, I guess mm. adapt to the new environment and, and take on and learn a new skill. Uh, and it is yeah. different. It's different moderating and working online than it is in a face-to-face environment. And it's great to see the, the students developing those skills too. They're going to definitely going to need them in the, in the future. Oh, most definitely. And, you know, I love that anecdote because it's on the surface something so simple and small, but mm-hmm. actually is gigantic, you know, to really mm-hmm. be able to invite folks into a conversation, mm-hmm. um, to sustain a conversation. I'm sure, Ian, in your work, you know, that's a that's a skill that, that you need week to week. Uh, and I, I would love actually for us to just turn back to your leadership because, of course, as a school leader, you're always modeling, um, you know, and, and your student leaders are seeing this. All of the members of your community are seeing this. Mm-hmm. So we would love to know just um, a little bit more about the personal learning that you are prioritizing because, of course, also as a school leader, you have so many different things. It's, I'm, I'm sure it's difficult for you mm-hmm. to to set those priorities, but, you know, mm-hmm. just like the rest of us, you only have 24 hours in a day. Um, so could you talk to us a little bit more about what you've been prioritizing in terms of your personal learning as a leader um, and maybe how you hope that learning is going to contribute to conversations mm-hmm. at your campus? Okay, so so I, I think the piece for me that has struck a, a chord most this year and, and it's it, it's in the reading I'm doing and it's in the conversations I hear and so forth. We, we, we've been hearing a lot about this idea of school culture and organizational culture um and and n- not generally as a positive actually it's just, you know what are the problems with our culture and so forth and you know clearly we want schools we want environments where we have collaborators where we have contributors where we have psychological safety where we have creative environments and you know so forth as well and we spend a lot of time talking about the personnel involved in there. We talk a lot about the, the issues and, you know, how we're going to approach this. And, and the bit that actually I've been focusing on recently is really thinking about, and, and I'm, I'm using the, the systems iceberg. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with the, the, the approach, this kind of systems iceberg and thinking about the, the structural impediments or the structural systems that we put in place in schools, which by their very existence, promote poor organizational culture mm. you know um and um you know if you think about the the, the systems iceberg you've got what's uh, what's visible on the top uh, and then you've got underneath that you know the underneath you've got you've got the beliefs you've got the structure you've got the patterns and so forth but it's really that structural piece that i'm interested in so one of the bits that I, you know a good example of that that i've been thinking about is this idea of collaboration, okay, we, we, you know, every school in the world, we, we talk about collaboration, the importance of teachers working together, collaborate, 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 you know, build it into the schedule, build it into the time. And I was thinking about our, our quite, we're in a very luxurious position as a school where actually we've, we've got plenty of space here um, and teachers are lucky. They typically have a classroom, which is mostly their own. And um, they get to be in that space and they have their, their, they teach all their classes in it and they have their resources in it as well. And of course, that, that's lovely. And people believe that that's, you know, they've been here long enough to feel that's kind of a right. But of course, what you miss with that is you miss those interactions. We're actually, mm. by the very structural way of that happening, we are creating little people working in isolation in their boxes. 
and not being forced to interact with others, not being forced to collaborate, not being forced to share resources. And it's those kind of pieces that I'm thinking about in terms of organizational culture and, and I've started kind of writing in my newsletters to, to teachers and parents and things about, you know, where where else does that exist in a school? Where else have we actually set up a structure or a system in a school which actively, yeah, contributes to a poor organizational culture? So that's that's mm. my that's my learning at the moment. Um, I've got some nice graphics that I'm putting together to uh, maybe even a workshop along those lines coming soon. More logos and more stickers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And you, and, you know, I think you're absolutely right. Like we're hearing this idea of school culture and, you know, and as a school leader, it's, it's something you're, you're never done with. You know, school culture is always something that you're working on. There's always, you know, tweaks and, and ways to get everybody involved. And like, it's just this, it's, it's a constant it's something to constantly be thinking about. And I love that you're thinking about even the specific parts of school culture right now. You're really focused on this organizational parts and what are the organizational yep. structures that limit us in collaboration. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, it's so great. Um, you know, as we head into summer and uh, hopefully find some time to rest and relax, <laughs> what questions uh, are, are kind of coming to mind for you for next year around the school culture, these organizational pieces? And what are maybe some other things that, that uh, as you talk with other administrators uh, in the same position as you or, or in other, other areas that you find that are kind of the, the questions that people are wrestling with right now? Um. Well, I'm going to come back to, to, to something we, we talked about previously, and um, no question for me moving into the, into the summer. I've got a, we, we've got a, a DEI and committee meeting coming up at the end of this year. Um, we, we need to also reflect on what's happened this year, but we, we need to make sure that we don't lose any momentum. We've got to make sure mm. we put that new policy into practice. Um, but the question that I'm kind of asking myself is, when you have a conversation with an educator about DEIJ um, issues or, you know, the conversation, there's very few that are going to come and say, well, I, I don't, kind of don't agree with it. Or, I, I, I'm, I, I'm typically exclusive and I don't value diversity. I and mean, that, that, that doesn't happen, right, in conversations mm. with educators. And so typically there's, the response is, and I've started asking this in interviews, actually, I always ask, you know, potential candidates, I said, well, how do you create a genuinely inclusive environment where all of your students feel valued and so forth? And it, it, the, typically the conversation revolves around relationships and being friendly and these kind of things. And I'm saying, I'm looking for that. You need to go think deeper about this. Mm. You've got to really genuinely ask yourself, you know, are the resources I'm choosing, are they reflective of our diverse community you know we did this wonderful project um earlier in the year with our grade three grade four students and we had them doing a class library audit where they went into different classrooms or they, they looked at, sorry they looked at their own classrooms and they looked at their books on their shelves they've all got a class library and they were looking for images representation of people of color you know are disabled people representing these books? Are there examples of non-traditional families or children in non-traditional gender roles and so forth? And actually trying to get, because I think there's this general sense that, you know, again, especially as international educators, that oh, we're doing this, we're getting this, but you've got to be deliberate about- Intentional, yeah. Yeah, exactly, about really saying, well, am I, and what are my biases and how, where am I not doing this? And so it's getting people that, that's that's a question I have. How do I get people to, to to really think deeply about it and really question themselves and be self-critical about it? So that's one of the pieces I have. Um, and connected to that, I suppose, and, and this would be, I think, for any 
you know, aspiring school leader, how do you create an environment at school where people feel psychologically safe? Um, mm. Where they really, you know, whether if, if they disagree with what's happening in the school, that's okay, you know, and you can respectfully and politely make that clear and that's okay and let's talk about it. And I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if there's any school that I've worked in where I feel genuinely that that is truly the case. Mm. And so that's something that I, I work towards and, and try to model as best I can. But it's not easy because, you know, schools are social dynamic places and that inevitably means the personalities. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, personalities and, play and so, out. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I guess those are those those are two two of my biggies and, and closely yeah, connected. I like that. And, and and then my third one would be would be again something else we've talked about here: student voice, student advocacy. I've you know I've got to do better at listening to the students because they they are often just so insightful, and they often tell you those pieces that you go, I totally missed that, but now you mm. say it, yes, it's obvious. You know, they they're the they're the end user, and we've got to we've got to make make sure we're we're meeting their needs. Yeah, I those, love are, that. those are great questions, Ian. Thank you for, for, you know, again, just putting them out there. I'm hoping folks will want to connect with you online who are also thinking about those really important questions. Um, you know, and, and I appreciate how you, you sort of have, again, a thread that runs through all of those things. Um, and, and again, I, I really, I, I value you saying, you know, this is about going deeper. It's not just saying the words. It's not just, you know, okay, this is on a banner somewhere in our school, but it's really digging in and asking ourselves how we do this. Um, I just finished a, a great book by Liz Foslin and Molly West Duffy. It's mm -hmm. called No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work. And it also looks at that overlap and talks about, you know, if we are sincere or authentic in wanting to do our DEIJ work, you do have to be thinking about that psychological safety piece and not just assuming, well, I told people to bring their whole selves to work, um, <laughs> but, you know, addressing the, the reality that for many people, they don't feel they can. Um, and uh, they, it's a great, it's a, it's a very quick read. It's, uh, it's, they're, they're well known for their, their, um, they share quite a few cartoons, I think, in Harvard Business Review as well. So you might enjoy that. But um, I will. Thank you. I, for the I just love, uh, I love the honesty in those questions, right? Yeah. And I know sometimes it's, it's difficult for school leaders to say we have to really problematize the extent mm -hmm. to which we're doing these things. Um, so thank you for that authenticity for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, uh, thank you so much for, for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, I so much learning in this podcast and you're of course doing incredible work at the international school of Luxembourg. Uh, and we'll make sure that all the links to everything are in the show notes. Uh, you can follow Ian on Twitter along with the whole, uh, leadership team over there. That's a whole nother podcast about the, the leadership team and their, their twit, their twit verse that they've created out of, out of <laughs> IS Lux. But, uh, uh, that's great as well. But uh, thank you so much for your time, your energy, your commitment uh, to students everywhere. So appreciate it, Ian. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shifting Our Schools. If you found this episode helpful or inspiring, please make sure to subscribe and leave the team a five-star rating. If you want to learn more about the Shifting Schools team or download our free resources, head over to shiftingschools.com to see what's on offer now. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode to keep rethinking the shifts our schools need.